Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Financials Podcast Futurish. I am your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. I am back this Friday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day um, with another solo episode. So we will be back to our regular programming with our guest episodes, but I thought it was a really important week to do a solo episode and chat with you about what's been going on um, in the recent news. And as I'm sure you've been reading, there was a bank failure last Friday there was a secondary one after that. Um, the one, the first one, uh, the main one, or the biggest one really, is Silicon Valley Bank. So it's abbreviated SVB. And so it failed on Friday, this past Friday. And so let's kind of do a deep dive on what is a bank failure? How does that happen? And should you be concerned about that? And so first off, this is the second largest bank failure in history, um, the largest since 2008. There have been other smaller bank failures since then. This is a really large bank, and that is why it's making all of these headlines and concerning everybody. I always know it's really mainstream news when uh, my sister Natasha, one of our favorites, uh, will text me in, you know, when I would think she wouldn't be worried about it and be like, do I need to be concerned about this? So I thought this is a good time to talk about, do you need to be concerned about this? So let's just go back to where it started. So this bank is a very, has a very specific customer. Their customer were tech startups. Um, so they're in the tech sector. And so that's not your normal clientele for bank. So to give you an idea, that 90% of their depositors, meaning 90% of their customers had over 250,000 per account. And so the issue that we're running into with this, which bank failure, we'll talk about exactly what that means, is that when you go to put your money into a bank account, you have insurance through FDIC for up to $250,000 per account. Now, if you're married and you have a joint account, that's $500,000, and this is per institution. And so most of the major banks are insured by FDIC. And obviously, after what happened in 2008, we have a lot of regulation. And so having insurance on your deposits, meaning anything you put in the bank, up to 250000 and you can read all of the rules, and we'll link it in the show notes for FDIC insurance, was insured by the federal government. So you didn't ever have to worry about it. Well, this bank was very specific, and they their clientele were startups. And so as we know, in the startup in the tech space, they fundraise a lot of money. 
and they spend a lot of money. And so their deposits were significantly higher than what you would see in your average local bank and probably what most people would hold in a personal account, right? These were businesses. And so what happened is they did really, really well when the tech space was booming and fundraising. I don't want to ever say it was easy, but with low interest rates, there was a lot of funding going on and a lot of money moving around. And so they had a lot of deposits, right? The bank did really well during that time frame, and they had a really great niche uh, market. And so fast forward, we are now in a rising rate environment, which was impactful for two reasons from what I've read about this bank. One is that their primary customer, the tech startups, were now spending through their deposits at a much higher rate than they had been previously because it's harder to fundraise in a higher rate environment. So therefore, they were spending the cash they had on deposit versus being able to maybe fundraise and not go through it quite as quickly. The second issue with a rising rate environment, now, I trust you've all been listening to all the episodes, and so we've learned a little bit about the basic market, which is as interest rates go up, bonds go down. And so the way it works with the bank is when you deposit your money, the bank turns around and takes that money, maybe not all of it, but takes some of that money and makes other investments. That's how it works. Now, in more classic banks, they typically do car loans and mortgages. It depends on the bank. But for instance, they were in the business of serving other businesses, but specifically tech startups. And so for some reason, and this is really what I'm interested to find out, what was the reason behind this? They bought treasuries, long-term treasuries. Now, treasuries are the government-issued bonds, and they're backed by the full faith of the United States government and are considered traditionally to be safe investments. Now, when you use the word investment, there is no typical guarantee on that, like no promise that it's 100% safe. And so what we haven't heard is that they went and bought long-term treasuries, like 10 years. I don't know what in in what world that seemed like a good idea because obviously everyone knew we were in a low rate environment and we all knew at some point the party had to stop. Or at least I knew that. And I'm sure you guys knew that. If you had gone into a bank and they had offered you a 10 year CD for 1.7 or 1.6%, I would hope you had been like, no, that is too long. I'll probably need my money back before 10 years. And I hope that something better turns up in 10 years than 1.6% on a bond. So if you hold that 10-year CD, we'll just use like our lingo CD, to maturity, you get your 1.7%. But should you decide midway through that, like five years in, that you want to get out of that, well, then you take a hit on that. You don't make the 1.7% that they promised you because you didn't wait the entire time. So now you have to go sell it on the market. Well, if all the CDs now are paying 4% or 3%, well, then nobody wants your 1.7% percent bond, right? That's the issue. And that's exactly what happened. So SPB realized that they needed to fundraise money because they were having a hard time with the deposits. So they announced they were going to try to do a raise. That spooked the market. This is the first thing. Spooked the market. Then the next day on Thursday, their share price fell dramatically 60%. And I believe the number was $42 billion uh, was pulled in deposits. It's a significant amount, and that's what you call a bank run. And so because this was a very niche community um, that it served, it was spread pretty quickly amongst that community that there was trouble with the bank. And because 90%, 90%, that's a huge amount, 
were over the $250,000 limit. They were concerned that their money wasn't insured. And so there was basically a literal run on the bank. Everybody came in and said, I want my money. And that's not how banks work. If we all went in, we all, if everyone from Future Rich used the same bank and we all decided on the same day, at the same time, we were all gonna go in and get our money. They just, the bank doesn't have that much money on hand, right? Because they take the deposits, they turn around, take the deposits and make other investments. Traditionally, car loans and credit lines and mortgages and, and that sort of thing. Um, in this case, SVB was in treasuries and they tried to offload these treasuries, these long dated treasuries that are now not as attractive. And treasuries have two risks. They have duration risk, meaning the length of time you're going to hold them. and that does not do well in a rising rate environment. So as rates go up, bond values go down, specifically the longer the, the longer the date at maturity, the more trouble you're in. Also, when you flood the market, meaning you're trying to sell a ton of bonds at once, you drive the price down on yourself. So there's always market risk with offloading securities, whether it's bonds or whether it's equities and that's stocks. And so that was another nail in the coffin for SVB is they offloaded all of these bonds to the tune, I believe they took over a billion dollar loss on selling their safe securities. So it was just really a combination of a, a few different things and it happened all so quickly. I think it was the fastest bank failure in history. Obviously we have technology on our, you know, at our fingertips. And so that's a very unique aspect of this. So this happened all so fast, but this was the second largest bank failure uh, in our history. And so to reiterate, they had a very niche uh, consumer base, customer base. They weren't diversified from a customer standpoint. So all of their customers were affected by the same market conditions significantly, which was we were in a rising rate environment and they were using up their deposits quickly. The bank needed to come up with more cash. And so they tried to do a raise that didn't work. They also tried to offload their long dated treasuries. And when they did that, now that we have higher interest rates, which was part of the reason that their customers were burning through cash quicker, they sold those at a loss, a huge loss, a billion dollar loss. It got out amongst the community of their customers who were all connected, that there was issues with the bank. And so then everybody came to take their money, not everybody, a lot of people came to take their money at, at once. And that was really the nail in the coffin for the bank. By the end of Thursday, they didn't have enough money to satisfy all of the withdrawals. So the federal government came in and took them over. So last Friday, the discussion was, well, what happens to the depositors? Do they get their money back or don't they? Because technically, if you read the disclosure agreement that everybody signed, they were only insured up to 250,000. So basically that was Friday. Then on Saturday, 5,000 startup CEOs and founders petitioned the government and said that if they were not made whole, that there would be a ripple effect throughout the economy because all of these startups would be wiped out because there's no cash, right? When you stop having cash, you can't make payroll, you can't pay for products, you can't pay for services, and you're and essentially as a business owner, if you don't have cash to operate, you out of business. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because these past few months, I've been prioritizing my health as I've recovered from a nasty case of long haul COVID. I love that it takes the mental work out of getting my vitamins and supplements in because with just one scoop of AG1, you're getting 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, and probiotics. It's been super simple to incorporate into my morning routine because there's virtually no prep required and it tastes great. Plus, it's way cheaper than a fancy coffee habit. If you want to give it a try, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash future rich to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And so on Sunday, the government came out and said they were going to backstop the bank failure, meaning that all of the depositors, even those who were not insured, which is 90% of them. Um, and I will mention SVB is a six, was, was the 16th largest bank in the country. So it was quite large. There was a lot of people involved in this. Um, they were going to backstop it, meaning that everybody was going to have their funds available on Monday. So and I, I believe the reason the government did this was to quell a larger impact, what they like to call as contagion, so that it didn't have a ripple effect throughout the greater market and have a bigger effect. Well, it turned out they also took over another bank, Signature Bank. That was a much smaller bank, but they were involved with a crypto bank and that led, that also went, got taken over. And so three banks went out of business all very, very quickly. Um, this is something that I think we'll read about in history books in the future. All the information isn't out. I've been listening to podcasts and watching the news about it. And I think there's a lot to be learned from this situation. I obviously don't think everything is predictable. And I think hindsight is 2020. My biggest question would still be like, why were we in 10 year treasuries? That doesn't seem like a good idea at all, ever. When we knew, everyone knew at some point that we were going to have rising rates. And I'm pretty sure if you listen to old episodes, when I talked about the mortgage rates being low, I said, these were historic lows. And I don't think we'll ever see this again. Be great if we do, but I don't think we'll see rates this low in the time that we're all buying houses, or at least for very like decades and decades and decades. So anyway, I'll be curious to see what happens when they talk about what was the rationale behind long dated treasuries, why they weren't saying shorter term, especially given that if they had a bigger increase on deposits, they were going to need to come up with money. So why would you be locked up for 10 years? Because obviously there was market risk and there was interest rate risk with those long dated treasuries. So that's really interesting. And then although they came back and said they were going to make whole everybody, that's a little bit of a sore, and I don't want to say sore subject, but there's a lot of debate over whether that's the correct thing to do or not, because given the insurance is only supposed to be for 250000 so is the government now saying that doesn't matter what that says, we're going to make sure we'll come in if there's ever a problem and always fix it. The one thing I will note that I think is getting a little bit mixed up on social media is they are only making the depositors whole. So they are only going to go in and adjust the and get back the money for those businesses who put money in. So to give you an example of how this might feel, you might be a small business owner, you might have a side hustle, you might have a personal account. If you go to the bank and deposit $10,000 and the bank fails, you expect to get your $10,000 back, right? Because you're under $250,000. So I guess my personal opinion is that maybe it makes sense that if you're a business and you need to have more cash on hand, maybe there's a business limit because right now just account limit. So that's the big argument is like whether or not the government should be doing that or should be saying tough, you chose the wrong bank and it went out of business. And so your money's gone and you go out of business. So obviously that's not the choice the government made, but some people are saying that shouldn't have happened. I will, I would like to highlight though, that they are not making the equity holders or the, the debt holders of that bank whole. So if you were a stockholder in that company, you lost your money. If you were a bondholder in that company, you lost your money. If you work for that company, they're selling off the company or other, you know, HSBC took over a part. I think they bought it for one pound. So they're only making the depositors whole. The government's only giving them back the money that they had deposited. They're not getting, not making a profit from it. They're literally getting back what they had 
was literally in their account on Wednesday, they're able to access it and get it back. They are not making whole any of the shareholders of the company or the, the debt holders of the company. So it's a, one thing that I think gets a little, has been getting a little bit mixed up. So that'll happen on Monday. So everyone got their money back. Uh, depositors were able to get their money back or will be getting their money back if they haven't already. And so we were, I was hoping that would like calm down the market a bit, but then now in the headlines, we have Credit Suisse, another bank who's having problems. My former employer, um, so I work there. And so they are also having problems and they have been pulling down the market a bit. And so it seems like they've also gotten, they were able to secure funding. Um, they are a much larger entity, obviously, than Silicon Valley Bank, and they are a global bank based out of Switzerland. And so we'll just have to see how this plays out. But what I would say in regards to whether or not you should concern yourself with this is I think it's really important to be up to date on what's happening in the news, especially something like this, because it impacts the markets and you will see it reflected on your account statements, depending on how this goes on your when you log in to look at your accounts. So ultimately, do I think it will affect you? No, I think your money is still safe in your banks. You are if, as long as you are underneath the $250,000 threshold, you are insured by FDIC. I think this is a really unique scenario with Silicon Valley Bank. I think we had a couple unique scenarios here. One, we have that they were in long-term treasuries and they seemed to be unaware that the party was about to stop with the low interest rates. They also had a very concentrated customer base and they were very niche in the customers that they served. So they were not diversified from a customer risk standpoint. And then I think the third thing was like not their fault at all. And it's just unique that people have technology these days and news travels really, really fast and really in milliseconds. And because of the technology, this happened in, I want to say like seconds, minutes, hours versus maybe 10, 15 years ago, this would have taken days or weeks. And maybe that difference in time would have given them an opportunity to not collapse. So that's a unique those are unique factors, I think, with their situation. Also, the other unique aspect was 90% of their depositors were over 250000 That's a very unique bank makeup. So, super unique. I don't think it affects... I think the effect will be on how it plays out in the market, what the impact longer term will be. There'll be regulations that probably come or might come as a result of this. And I just think it's an interesting thing to watch to see... What is the income uh, impact going to be on the market? What is the impact going to be on banking? I do think that it it's not affecting the general public, if you will. Like being a startup founder is very unique. And to have fundraised 30, 40, 50 million and have that sitting in the bank is a unique situation. I don't think that's the average person. Um, but I do think it's, especially being in finance, I think it's particularly I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And I'll, I think it'll be interesting to see how it impacts regulations down the road. But I did hear someone say that going forward, you should analyze the bank you use. I have never, nor have I, and have never seen anyone ask a bank for their balance sheet before they decide to put money in. Like, hey, can I take a look at what you're invested in? Uh, who's running the board? Like, what's, like, I've never seen anyone do that. I think what you need to make sure is that you know that your bank is FDIC insured and that your account values meet those FDIC limits. So that would be my takeaway from this banking crisis is if for whatever reason you are over that, then I would make sure you move, diversify your funds so that you have FDIC on each and every account and you're below, you meet those thresholds. So we'll link the information on the FDIC insurance and how to structure that so you make sure you have insurance on all of your monies 
But my big takeaway from this would be, you do not need to pull your money out of your banks. What you need to do is make sure that you understand what the FDIC insurance limitations are and make sure that you're within the limitations that are provided. I hope this was super helpful. We, you know, every once in a while I like to jump on and talk about what's going on in the economy and in the news, if it has a big impact. And, you know, this could be an impactful one. It definitely will affect the market for a little bit here. We'll see how this plays out. It might impact whether or not they raise rates going forward. So there's a lot of things that this could touch, but ultimately what it comes down for you is just understanding and making sure that your bank has FDIC insurance and that you're within those limits. And that's it. But I wouldn't, wouldn't call up and, and take your money out of your bank. So I hope everyone's having a wonderful week. Have a wonderful uh, St. Patrick's Day. And we'll be back with our regular programming next week. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. I hope this was helpful. Uh, we will definitely put some good details in the notes for you to check out. And as always, you can find our most up-to-date information on Instagram. We are Future Rich Podcast. And we love if you send us a message or interact with us. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of or any topics you'd like me to chat about. I'm more than happy to do so. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.